0: Today we're looking at Genesis chapter 15. And for the past few weeks, if you've been joining us, um, we've been studying the story of Abram. I, I, I was surprised, actually, as I was looking back how many weeks we've been in Abram, his life. I expected by now we'd already be to Abraham, right? Same guy, different name, but, but there's a lot here in this story uh, before he, his name is, is converted to Abraham. And one of the things that we know about this Abram um, is that he is known as a man of faith. And so a lot of these messages, a lot of these stories are talking about the development of Abram's faith. If you grew up in the church, you may be familiar with the name Abraham and that he's a man of faith. You've seen it in Hebrews. You've heard him referred to and so, as the man of faith. And we just kind of view these people in the Bible a lot of times as just they're, they're complete. They're just born that way. They're just people of faith, of great courage, and they do these radical things for God. And that's just how they always were. And so we look to them as the saints and the holy ones that went before us, and we're just in awe of, wow, these people are amazing. And, and yes, they do some pretty incredible things as we th- see through Scripture, but sometimes what we forget is there's still people like us, and there's still people that have gone through a journey of faith, and their faith was developed over time, and there were different experiences that they went through that helped Create in them this strong faith to guide them. And Abram is no different. As we've seen, his faith wasn't something that just magically appeared in his life. It was developed through a life of following God. And a life of faith is full of adventure. It's got its highs and its lows. It's got its mountain peaks and its dark valleys. But both are a part of the journey. And today, we're going to watch as God takes Abram further into the life of faith. So, here in Genesis chapter 15, we're going to start with the first three verses. And here's what it says. It starts out strong. Are you ready? It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Okay, that's a good way to start a chapter. But verse 2. But Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So God appears to Abram in a vision, all right? It's not a dream, he's not asleep. He's wide awake and he's discouraged. I mean, I I would like to think that if God came to me and said, Brett, your reward will be very great. I am your shield. I'd be like, yeah, let's go, God, you know? But instead, God appears to Abram this way and drops this heavy, heavy promise on him. And all Abram can do is say, oh, I don't have a son, I don't have an heir. What am I going to do? How are you going to be great? Oh, it's nice, you're a shield for me, but I've got this thing. I've got this desire, this unmet desire. God with the triumphant message, but Abram is just not ready to hear it. Now, we don't know how long the gap between chapter 14 and chapter 15 are. Could be the same day, could be next week, could be months, we don't know, But remember in chapter 14, Abram's coming off this adrenaline high, right? Where last week we looked at this story where he went off, chased down an army, defeated this army, massive victory, completely unexpected, way outnumbered, 318 men facing an army, a a large army that had just wiped out all these other little nations and kingdoms. He takes these 318 men and there's a major victory, right? An impossible victory. And then he comes back down from that, and then he meets with this priest king, Melchizedek, and they have this incredible service, and, and all this is taking place, and Abram now comes home, and everything is good. And everything has just gone the way better than he could have imagined. And he's seen God do these incredible things in his life, impossible things even. But he still has this concern that won't go away. He still has this thing, That he's hanging on to. He's discouraged because his deepest earthly desire hasn't been met. And he's longing for a son. And we hear the sorrow in his voice. Now, I think that most of us can relate to Abram here. Because all of us, all of us have things in our hearts that that our hearts have been set on that haven't worked out. Right? Everybody's got a couple things. Some of you might have a whole list of things. (laughs) But there's always a couple things where you're like, ah, this isn't exactly how I want it to be. This isn't working out the way I had hoped it would. And a lot of times those are good things. And that's why we come to God and say, God, isn't this a good thing? Why is it that this isn't working out the way I want it to? Why is this taking so long? Why did this happen in the way that it happened? It could be a relationship that is yet to develop. And we're lonely. It, it could be a relationship that 's been broken that we can 't seem to repair uh, it, it might be a dream of a, a business that we can 't seem to get off the ground or of a career path that we can 't break into there 's all kinds of things hopes, dreams, ideas that that we 've had that that haven 't worked out the way we want them to and life often takes turns that we would choose a different to go in a different direction. But it happens that way anyway, and we don't want it to go those ways, and it's discouraging. Now, admittedly, when I look at Abram's situation and struggle, uh, it's, it's a little difficult to me, for me to see, why are you having a hard time with this? <laughs> like, Come on, Abram. Like, get it together, man. You, you shouldn't be upset about this. He was rich. He was well-respected. He had the promises of God and the experiences of God in his life to back it up but he still was wrestling with fear and he had this one deep longing that he mentions that was unfulfilled. This desire for a son to be his heir. Now, I want us to think about that a little bit. Now, for some of you who have uh, maybe come to a place in life where you really wanted a child, you might resonate with this. And if, especially if the child didn't come or it took a lot longer than you wanted it to. Some of you are like, oh, I know what that feels like. Okay? That's, that's a real thing. But there's also a real important thing for us to understand about Abram and what he knew. All right? We think of everything in our terms. And we think, oh, well, he must have thought the way we think. And experienced life the way we've experienced it. And understand God the way we understand God. But you have to understand, we have a pretty robust theology about what happens after we die. Okay? Okay? Christians believe what Jesus spoke when he talked about eternal life and that he was going to prepare a place for us to spend eternity with him. We believe believe the scriptures that tell us that God will make all things new when the day comes. Um, And when that day comes, death will be no more and God will dwell with his people forever. We have that imagination, that godly imagination of this, there's gonna be something after this life and God's taking care of it. We view that. We understand that. But you have to remember, Abram didn't have the benefit of learning from Jesus. He didn't even have scriptures to read. All right, so many of the things that we understand about what is to come, we've learned. We've been told by other people. Abram had none of that. He didn't have any of those other other inputs pouring into his life. He only knew the little that had been passed down from his ancestors and the things that God directly had spoken to him. And those in ancient times had very little insight into afterlife. And so their hope for longevity and for leaving a legacy was directly tied to the way they would live on through their children. Their legacy would be passed on through their kids. And without children... Abram felt like his life wouldn't matter. And that's what we hear Abram speaking to God here. He's like, it's great. Yes, I, you've, been given, you've given me all these things. Yes, you've done this in my life. Yes, you've talked to me. Yes, you've spoken to me. Yes, I believe in you. Yes, I have all this wealth that I've accumulated, and I'm not even really sure how. Yes, I, I've got a good place where I want to live, and, and things are going well. But I still don't have, what, what happens when I die? What's left? What's left? Some people today believe that this is all they have. And that there is nothing else beyond this. A lot of people. And guess what? It reshapes how they view the world around them. It reshapes how they view what they do each day with their lives. And and sometimes I almost feel a little ashamed as a Christian because I realize, wow, these people are are really taking advantage of every day. (laughs) They're really investing themselves in the right now. Part of it is because they think that right now is all they have. And that when they die, that's it. It's over. But that's not what we find and that's not what we learn. Let's move on to verse 4. God's going to respond now to Abram. Here's what it says. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, he was talking about Eleazar of Damascus, his heir, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And in verse 6 it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Have you ever been somewhere where you're really far away from light pollution and at night and you can look up on, the clear, on a clear night and see stars? I mean, if, if we walked out here tonight in our neighborhoods and we look up, you, you'll see some stars probably on most clear nights. All right? But it's very different when you get out somewhere away from all of the light of the city. And if you're out in the desert somewhere or out somewhere that's very remote and you look up and you just see stars as far as you can see right the whole sky is covered they're out there guys trust me if you're all city kids and you've never seen this it's out there right it's this incredible view it's been a long time for me since i've actually seen stars like that but it is incredible and as abram looks up god takes him out and says go ahead look look up in the sc- in the sky he looks up and he sees all these stars and he's like wow yeah this is beautiful and then god says go ahead count them <laughs> And I don't even think Abram would have taken an attempt. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and God's like, yeah, right. You're not going to be able to count these things. It's, 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 it's way more. It's, it's greater than anything that you can imagine. To try to count them would have been ridiculous. But God knew the desire of Abram's heart, and he wanted to address it. And he does it with this really beautiful um, example to Abram. God didn't just meet Abram's longing, but he exceeded it in every way. Abram wanted one thing. He said, I just want a single heir. Somebody that's actually blood of my blood. I want a blood relative to pass all this on to, to to remember me. That's all I want. And what God says is, okay, I'm not going to give you just one. I'm going to give you thousands upon thousands. He exceeded Abram's desire. Now, this is the spot where some pastors will tell you this is how God works every time, right? I mean, this preaches really well. You'd like to hear it. You would love it if I said, if you just trust God, if you just believe in him, he will blow out your wildest dreams. It, it, he, will, he will lavish upon you so much more than you could ever imagine, and then a little more. It does. We, we'd like to hear that. We want to hear that, and, we, and they'll, they'll tell you God works this way every time. That's not always true. God is capable of giving you everything you want and much more, but that doesn't always line up with what's best for your life. But I do believe that God always has what is best for you in mind. That part's true. He always has what is best for you in mind. Not only that, this other Little statement goes with it, and God's plans are greater than our own. Those are two things you've got to understand, you've got to hold on to. He always has what's best for you in mind, and his plans are greater than our own. The Bible is a story of God's love for humanity. It's also, that's good, we can get that. Yeah, God loved the world. It's a love for humanity. But it's also a story of his love for you personally. All right, he loves the world in general, but he also loves each one of you individually and personally. And that's sometimes hard for us to receive or believe, especially when things aren't going well. But it's true. I, uh, a friend of mine, I was talking to him this week, the week of Thanksgiving, and he had called me up and He's a good friend from a a long time ago, and and we were talking about a few different things. And he told me he's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm kind of struggling right now because I had an employee a couple of weeks ago commit suicide, and I'm kind of wrestling with it and thinking about it. And this guy had a lot of problems, and we had a lot of conversations. But I keep asking myself, you know, the, the the usual thing: could I have said something differently? Could I have done something differently? What could have been said to this guy to make him change his mind? Is there anything that, that could have been done? Did I miss something? Um, and, and he had said in talking to his wife, at the, the guy's wife at the funeral, she had told him, she said, yeah, you know, a, a, a few days ago he had come to me and said, you know, do you think anybody would miss me if I was gone? And she's like, well, yeah, I'd miss you. And he's like, oh, you're the only one or whatever. You know, just just in this really dark place. He didn't believe that he was lovable. He didn't believe that his life mattered. But guys, hear this and know this truth today. Every life matters. Every life, it matters. Each one of you matter. You might come to places in your life where you don't feel like that. You might come to places in your life where you feel like it's all hopeless. It's all gone. It's a waste. I blew it. Whatever. You might believe lies that have been spoken to you that say you don't matter. And you're just a blip on the screen. You're a piece of dirt that's going to go back to dirt. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But that's not true. That's not what God speaks about the, the, his creation, about people. Every life matters to God. You matter to God. But don't get lost in comparison with others. God has what's best for you. And that's where the that's what happens. What happens is we start comparing ourselves with everyone else in a hard place. When our marriage doesn't look great, we look to other people and we find all of a sudden all these amazing marriages around us. And we're like, oh yeah, well, they've got it together. When our finances are a wreck. We jump onto social media and like, they're loaded, they're loaded. What did they do to earn this? Where did this come from? When they have this startup business that in two years is blown up and they've sold it off and they're living large and they've got their yacht, you're like, oh, why didn't this happen to me? This is one of the, I'm not completely anti-social media and everything that it has to do with, but this is one of the problems with social media. It's a giant comparison game. And you're constantly not measuring up to whatever it is that got posted here. Oh, wow. He can lift that much. That's amazing. I need to work harder. You know? Oh, they get to surf perfect waves all the time. What about me? Here I'm in two-foot slop on Imperial Beach. Right? There's all these things. Everybody's got their thing that they look at, and they want to compare. And we want to get it in our heads. Oh, well, God must love them more than he loves me. I guess I don't mean that much. Wow. He's better looking. She's more beautiful. Their family's perfect. They get to travel the world. This is all what we're, what we're doing, but we're getting completely lost and we're losing sight of the truth that God always has what's best for you in mind and his plans are greater than our own. God has what is best for you. Now, I don't want us to skip past verse 6. In fact, um, it should probably be underlined in your Bible if it's not. It is in mine. I'm going to read it again. It says, And and he, Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is a really important verse in the Bible. In fact, one Bible commentator said this of it. He said, No other Old Testament text, talking about this verse, this one verse, has exercised such an influence in understanding faith and on the New Testament itself. As his faith grew, Abram came to know that God could do impossible things. Now, Abram was probably in his early 80s here. Okay, He was 80-something probably when, when God speaks to him here. I, I know that because he left Haran when he was 75 years old. We saw that a few chapters ago. And he's traveled through. And then the next date that we have in his life is when he's 86. He's going to have a son, Ishmael. All right? So he's it's somewhere in between there, between 75 and 86. So probably early 80s. But even um, with extended lifespans of ancient people, and we talked about that, this age in the 80s, was was likely past the usual childbearing age, especially for his wife Sarai, who was in her seventies at this point. Alright? We actually know that it's already past times over for Sarai, because in chapter 18 it actually tells us that. He, she's the way of the women is no longer with her is the way it'll say it in, in the scripture. Abram didn't know how God was going to come through with this promise. God's called him outside, says, look at the stars. It's from your body. It's going to be your son, blood son. Your relatives are going to span the heavens. There's going to be so many of you. It's going to happen through you. It's going to be your son, your heir. And Abram's like, okay, well, I don't know how this is going to work. My wife's in her 70s. I'm in my 80s. This seems weird. I don't know how, but I know who. That's the difference. He didn't know how, but he knew who. Ephesians 3.20 says he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Abram had already seen some impossible things happen. He didn't know how God was going to pull this one off, but he knew that God could do it. And God had a greater plan than Abram could imagine. He told him, you're going to have a son as an heir and your family line will be enormous. And even though that seemed unlikely, Abram believed God, and belief was counted as righteousness. Why is belief so important to God? Have you ever asked that question? You ever wondered that? We hear it all the time. Well, just believe in God, believe in God, believe in God. This is so important. Believe in God. Okay, okay, okay. But why? Why does it matter? Why does God care so much about belief? Why does he put such a premium on that? For Abram, he says, if you believe, I'm going to act like you're righteous. We know he's not righteous. We've already seen him do stupid things. Here's why. This is one of the reasons why, and this is the the one that I want you to think about here today. Belief is important to God because belief opens the door to relationship. Okay? Okay? Belief opens the door to relationship. And relationship is God's goal. Why did God create us in the beginning? Was it because he was lonely? No. He had himself, a triunity. Was it because he was bored, looking for something to do? No. God created humanity for relationship. And belief opens the door to relationship. This is what I mean by that. If I don't believe you or I don't trust you, our relationship can only go so far. Okay? And, and you know what, what that's like. Anybody been to a mechanic lately their car? <laughs> it's hard to believe a mechanic. And if you get a mechanic that you believe, I'm not saying that mechanics are bad people. But it's hard sometimes to pay them that much to do something under the hood somewhere that makes your car do something that you don't know. (laughs) It's hard. And if I don't believe that person, it's really hard for that relationship to go very far. And every time they say, oh, and I also recommend that not only that, that you do this and do this, it's amazing how they always find those things, right? You go in for one simple thing and they have a whole list of recommendations. Oh, you should try this, you do that. It's the same thing with contractor. You wanna do something in your house. You call them up and say, hey, can you just fix this toilet? Well, I can fix this toilet. Let me tell you, the reason this happened is because of this and that. And if we open up this wall and do this and right? And pretty soon you're like, ah, I don't believe you. And because I don't believe you, I don't know if I can trust you. And so we take a step back. That's what happens when we don't have belief. Our relationship can only go so far. Doubt. As well, when we doubt someone because we don't believe them, doubt will freeze a relationship. And trust, we know, takes time to establish and can be lost in an instant. But faith and belief allow us to move forward in a relationship. If you have faith in somebody, if you believe in someone, if you believe that there's more to that person, or you believe that they're honest, or you believe in their character, you can move further in relationship with them. And it wasn't Abram's accomplishments, it wasn't his sacrifices, it wasn't even his obedience that God says, I'm gonna count that as righteousness. No, it was his belief alone that counted, all right? Now, you might say this about that. You might say, well, that doesn't seem to be fair, And it's not. It's not fair. God, hate to tell you this, guys, but God isn't fair. He's just. He's righteous. And you're thinking, wait a minute, there's got to be a Bible verse in there. I'm pretty sure I can pull one out that says God is fair. Show me. God's not fair. In fact, to prove he's not fair, he goes beyond everything we can imagine and everything that we can deserve, and he gives us grace. Is grace fair? No. You don't deserve it. That's not fair. But he gives it to you anyway. His love for us isn't fair. We're unfaithful. We're ungrateful. We do a lot of junk that we shouldn't do, and he loves us anyway. Is that fair? Think about the sins of your life. If you're under the blood of Jesus, you've been forgiven those sins. Was that fair? No, he's far beyond fair. Jesus' sacrifice wasn't fair. And for the next 2,000 years, Abram's ancestors will try to find righteousness in other ways, but it would prove to be impossible. Impossible. Even when God gives them a list of 10 things to do, you know, okay, follow this list of 10 things, do that. And I'll count you as righteous. We can't even pull off 10. (laughs) No, it's not going to be possible. But when Jesus appears, he teaches this very thing and shows us that it is belief that sets us up to be in a right relationship with God. Just belief allows that. And even though righteous Abram believed God, he still had a few questions. God's promise to Abram way back when included a people and a place. All right? So now God has dealt with the people part and said, I'm going to give you an heir and multiples. Actually, a huge people are going to come from you. But what about the place? Back in chapter 12, verse 7, he said, To your offspring I will give this land. All right, And that's what we see in verse 7. So Genesis 15, verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now that his biggest issue was dealt with, Abram starts the rest of his question list for God. <laughs> He's like, okay, you're going to take care of the sun. That's great. Check next, how is this going to work out? How are they going to have a a place? You had talked about a place before. How is this going to happen? And instead of God just telling him very clearly, well, this is what's going to happen, instead, God comes up with a grocery list and a pretty heavy task. He tells him, you're going to bring these animals, and you know what to do, okay? Abram is told to prepare for a ceremony, Now the culture that Abram came from was surrounded by and and familiar with animal sacrifice. All right. If God came to us with that list, we'd be like, this is way bizarre. (laughs) Where am I going to even get a cow and a cow and a goat? And what am I, what am I supposed to do with this? All right. That's not how it, it came to Abram. This wasn't just some like brand new animal sacrifice thing, religious ceremony that was about to start we can safely assume that everywhere Abram had built altars and called on the name of the Lord, and we've seen that multiple times through these chapters, that his worship included sacrifices on these altars. And it seems that God was using the traditions around Abram to declare what he was doing. Because what we know from just archaeology and paleontology, um, in ancient Mesopotamia, when two parties would agree to a covenant... We've talked about that word covenant before. We're going to talk more about it. Here's what they would do. In ancient Mesopotamia, they'd take a donkey. They'd cut the donkey in half. Brutal, I know, but it's a different world. They cut a donkey in half. They would separate that donkey. And then the two people that were going to be part of the covenant would come and walk through the middle of the path, which would have been a pretty bloody, gross Path between the two of them. And here's what it was to symbolize. I know, I'm getting some good looks from your faces on these things. Um, What it would symbolize was what they were basically saying was, if I break my side of this oath, let it be the same thing happened to me that happened to this donkey. And so then they would walk together through this donkey parts, and that is what would seal their covenant. All right? And so this was, I mean, For us, we, you know, have a lawyer draft a a contract and we sit at a table and just sign a little signature or something, right? And like, all right, I, I agree to this part, you agree to that part, we're done. Much cleaner, much nicer. But in these days, that's how it worked, all right? And so, what we see is this kind of a thing taking place. Abram is prepping for a covenant ceremony and he knows it. And that's what all this cutting them in half is all about. Abram knew what to do and what God was calling him to. The problem is the other party in the covenant, God, hasn't shown up yet. So God gives him the grocery list. He goes out. He gets the animals. He brings them all to this place. He goes through the the brutal sacrificing of killing these animals, setting them up, and he's waiting for God. He's like, all right, I did my part. You said you wanted a cow. You said you wanted a goat. I've got all the things, the turtle dove, the pigeon. Everything's in place. They're all cut up. They're ready to go. Where are you, God? Are you sending an angel? Are you showing up? What are we supposed to do next? How is this supposed to work? And then what happens is he starts getting all these, like, birds of prey, these carrion coming down to try to eat the animals that are dead animals here, right? So the rest of his day, he's shooing off these birds, And you've got to uh, imagine this would have been pretty exhausting work. Not only is he cutting a cow in half, I mean, a cow, guys, a a regular beef cow for us is like around 1,000 pounds, even in these days, if it was 800 pounds, can you imagine lugging around 400 pounds of meat? Some of you guys who like to grill are like, yeah, 400 pounds. (laughs) Not me. Like This is tiring, right? And not only that, now he's chasing off all these birds, these vultures that keep dive bombing the stuff. And he's doing this all day long. It was an exhausting day for him. And that's what we see in verse 12. And it says, and as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain God doesn't give Abram all of the details, but he does give him incredible insight into the future. And we'll see the rest of Genesis unfold exactly in this way, in the way that God said that it would, with Abram's descendants ultimately ending up in Egypt for 400 plus years. If you're curious about the Amorites, what that is all about, the Amorites were a people group descended from Canaan. They're often lumped in with all the Canaanites mostly located on the eastern side of the Jordan, north up to Syria, and, and he's saying there that judgment is gonna happen on these people, and we see it happen, but not until after Egypt and after the Israelites come into the land of Canaan and all of that. And then in verse 17, and we're gonna finish here, 17 through 21, it says, when the sun had gone down and it was, du- it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot." And a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Abraham's completely asleep, guys. He's knocked out. This other vision that he had, this was in a dream. This is God speaking to him as he's dead asleep. And while he's asleep, this happens. And it says in verse 18, And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So what happens here is this supernatural confirmation of God's intention. A covenant is a sacred bond between two parties. But what God does here is he doesn't even allow Abram to do his part. Abram's thinking, all right, I'm going to walk hand in hand with God through these animal pieces here, and I'm going to do my part. But what God does is, no, he goes through with his, in his supernatural way, and he takes responsibility for both parties. God sealed the covenant, but Abram wasn't involved. Hebrews six thirteen and 14 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, this, this very thing here, Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. A covenant usually takes two people agreeing to something. You do your part, I'll do my part, and together we'll do this. God looks at humanity and he says, I'll do my part, and here's your part, but you can't do your part. So because you can't do your part, I'm going to do your part too. Again, God's not fair. In a good way, he's not fair. This won't be the last covenant that God makes with a person in the Bible. As Christians, we're people of a new covenant. But just like this covenant, God takes the responsibility upon himself to complete it. And we are called to faith. 1 John 5.4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world. Our obedience, our hard work, our good effort, our brilliant intelligence. No, none of those things. Our faith. How is it that we overcome this world that's constantly pulling us down? It's our faith. It's our faith in someone else bigger and better and beyond us. It's our faith in him. So you can take some of the pressure off yourself. (laughs) And you can cast your cares onto him. He cares for you. You can lean on him to do what he said he would do. Just like Abram, our righteousness is not based on our merit. We're given the righteousness of Jesus when we believe in him. God has a plan for your life. And it's greater than you understand. He's inviting you to follow him and walk the journey of your life with him. It won't always be easy. There'll be struggle. There'll be sorrow. But you can also be certain that God will do what he said he will do. Abraham, or Abram, was in a place of doubt, but he chose to believe God even when he couldn't see the outcome. And I think for some of us, God is calling us to do the same thing today. He's calling us to believe what He has promised and go forward with Him. He's the one that will take care of the details, but we're called to rest in Him and to follow Him. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we don't understand all of these things. And Lord, like Abram, we have our doubts, we have our struggles, we have our issues, we have our confusion, we recognize our weakness, we, we know that we have our need for you, but God, today, I just pray that we would be people that would come to you in faith, I pray that even though we don't see the end result, we don't see the path all the time, just like Abram didn't, God, that we would still hold on to you in faith. Your word tells us over and over again of your love for us. Let us believe that. Your word tells us over and over again that you can do all things, that nothing is impossible with you. And Lord, we need to believe that today in faith. And sometimes it seems like the the deck is stacked against us. We look around at other people. We compare ourselves to them. And we look to you and we ask you, where are you, God? What are you doing, God? But you've given us this record of your faithfulness. You've given us time and time again reasons to believe that you are who you say you are and that you will do what you say you will do. And so, Lord, we pray that today we'd be those people of faith, even when it seems dark, even if we have doubt, Lord, that we would hold on to you, we would look to you. And, God, we just ask that you do what you want to do in our lives. We believe that you have a plan for us. We believe that you want to bless us and we are thankful that you're not fair. (laughs) But you're so good and you're so right and you're so loving and gracious to us. Help us remember that this week as we go through each day. Help us be people that are grateful, people that are looking toward the future people that are setting our eyes on things above and people that can walk in the strength and the courage that's found in you. Draw close to us now as we wrap up this service in in a time of worship and response. And be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.